Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. So we've been in a, a sermon series. If you've been here the last few weeks, it's called Cross in the Kingdom. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and spirituality. Last week, we talked about Jesus and grace. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus and freedom. Jesus and freedom. Are you ready? All right. I think we all would agree that um, we are made for freedom. Yes, no. Give me some love. Yes, no. How many freedom people are there out there? Right? Uh, I, I've been in ministry for a long time and uh, I've seen a lot, 25 years of ministry experience. And so I've pretty much seen everything. The one thing I have yet to see in a pastoral situation is someone telling me, hey, Chris, I'm a non-freedom person. Never seen uh, anything like that. Never seen someone say, hey, I really want to be coerced um, by some authoritarian regime into going against my convictions on what is true and the beautiful and the good. I've never heard anybody say that before, right? Never heard anybody say, I mean, there are exceptions, I get it. Uh, And people have experienced horrific things. uh, And so we want to be sensitive to that. But it's rare that someone wants to be manipulated into restrictions that takes away their life. In other words, we are made for freedom, not less of it. I'm not trying to score political points here. I'm actually trying to make a very theological and anthropological point, and it's this. Freedom, everyone say freedom. Freedom is essential for happiness. I particularly don't like that word. Some of you like that word. That's totally fine. Um, But any word associated with happiness, fullness of joy, life, um, uh, uh, flourishing, human flourishing, all of those words connected to happiness are absolutely connected to freedom. You could say, this is a fancy way of saying it, freedom is the sine qua non or the essential characteristic for human life for virtue. You cannot be a virtuous person. You cannot be a kingdom person. You cannot be a Jesus person if you don't have freedom. So freedom, would you agree, is important. Now, I'm not going to wrap my, I'm not even saying that. I'm not going to, because I would offend everybody by saying that. Let me just move on. Um, Psychologists will tell us that um, uh, authentic freedom or what they they would say self- um, self-determining freedom is what makes us different than grizzly bears. Okay. How many of you would say we're different than grizzly bears? Humans. Come on. How many many would say we're different than grizzly bears? How so? Well, for example, a grizzly bear is, um, he's determined by his predatory instincts. And um, I, I think there's yet to be an example where a grizzly bear is out in the wild. He sees a little baby deer and he's overcome with compassion. And he says, you know what, that, that deer has yeah, deer potential. And uh, I just honestly, I just want to go against my instinct, my predatory instinct to devour its liver today. So that's a little graphic, I know. Uh, so I'm going to let it live. And you know, and just after thinking about it, there's a bear talks to himself. You know, I just, I've, I've gained a lot of weight, you know, this last winter. I'm, you know, 80 pounds overweight. I just think I'm going to go on a plant-based diet. 
maybe do a little yoga, maybe, you know, just, you know, I just slim down a little bit. Uh, I, I'm just going to go against my instincts. Well, we know that uh, bears cannot do that. Animals cannot do that. However, humans, you and I are different. We can do that. We can go against internal and external dynamics that act on us. So for example, I can wake up tomorrow morning, which is Monday, and I can talk to my wife, hey, let's do sushi um, tonight. And then two hours before, we can renege on that and say, no, we don't want sushi. We want a steak, right? Medium rare, because that's the only way you should cook your steak. And if you don't cook your steak medium rare, don't eat steak. Like, what is wrong with you? Okay, anyways. So we can, we can, we can say otherwise, we can do otherwise because we have authentic freedom. Uh, it, it works in the opposite direction. If, if you're really trying to take care of yourself, you're working out, you want to, I don't know, slim down, you, wanna, you have a new lifestyle. Um, this happened to me in my 20s a lot. At 11 o'clock at night, you see that Taco Bell uh, commercial with the nacho cheese dripping from the taco, right? It's a demonic commercial. And every time I saw it at 11 o'clock, I would send somebody or I would go myself and eat like 10 tacos, right? Like I can tell myself I'm going to do this, but then I can also, because I have freedom, can do the opposite. We are, in other words, freedom people. And you don't have to be an American. Like this is a global, universal, biological, theological reality of our lives. Can I get an amen? Uh, So it's important for us to understand that. Uh, But the big question that we have to ask and answer is, what is freedom? Because a lot of people have different ideas, assumptions about freedom. And this is an important question because there is a freedom that I'm going to talk about here right now before I get into our passage today. There is a freedom that leads us into a non-freedom. Or there's a freedom, I know it sounds ironic, that leads us into less of freedom. But there's also a freedom that Jesus gives us. How many of you want freedom? But there's a freedom that leads us into more freedom, which are pass, passages that we read, um, we will discuss. So what is this freedom that leads to non-freedom? Well, I, a couple of weeks ago, my son and I had a conversation. Wesley, he's my oldest, he's 10. He um, came up to me and he's being funny. I love, I love my son. He has, a, he has a wild sense of humor. And uh, he came up to me one day, he goes, Dad, uh, you know what would make me really, really happy? And I remember thinking, he's really growing in his relationship with, with, with Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? He wants me to give him a Bible. That is exactly what he wants me to give him, you know? He wants to pray with me for four hours a day. You know, I just, I'm thinking of like, I cannot wait for this, right? And he goes, well, dad, the thing that would make me really happy is if you and mom give me more freedom. So I'm like, okay, Great, yeah, because you've, 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 done, you've done your job. Yes, freedom and happiness, they're inextricably connected. They're bound up together. So good job, little philosopher. So, but what do you mean by freedom? And he goes, well, dad, I just think you just need to let me play Xbox all day long. <laughs> and in addition to that, he's being funny. I just think you just need to let mom and I, especially mom, because she's, you know, she doesn't let us eat anything, but you're kind of the cool dad. <laughs> Anyways, I'm kidding. Um, he goes, uh, how about you let us eat more ice cream like all day long? And I'm like, um, that will never happen. Right. And then he goes on just a little binge. And then finally he comes to the point where he's like, dad, I just think, I know I'm 10, but I think, I think I'm ready to drive. I need more freedom to drive. Right. 
And, and so we talked about it and I just basically said, son, all of what you just said will make you profoundly unhappy. <laughs> Why? Well, because that's gonna lead to, it's gonna lead to anarchy and chaos. You driving on the road, my God. <laughs> my God, have mercy on all of us, right? You eating ice cream all day, oh my word. You eat a little bit of ice cream and you're irritable, right? And we can't stand to be in your presence, you know? Xbox, are you kidding me? You little zombie, right? There's no way we're gonna let you watch Xbox all day long. For Wesley, and he's growing and he's such, I love his heart and he's, yeah, I just love that he's just asking very good questions. But for Wesley, and he's half joking, right? Half joking. For Wesley, his understanding or his definition of freedom is non-restriction. No restrictions. Well, this is how the West conceptualizes freedom, right? Freedom uh, is like... Um, a random, in the words of one scholar, subatomic molecule zipping around with no apparent rhyme or reason, right? We're free. We're free. What does that mean? Absence of restrictions. We can do whatever, whatever we want. So freedom, in other words, defined is boundaryless. It's much like everyone saying like today um, that we're going to drive how we want to on the roads. So if I feel, everyone would say, I feel. If I feel like plowing through a farm because it looks so pretty or nice, I'm gonna do it. If I feel like driving on the wrong side of the road, well, I'm free, I'm a free person, right? Rules, I don't feel like, like driving according to the rules. I'm gonna do what I want. Well, of course, we all know what's gonna happen if everybody decided, right? That freedom is doing what they want insofar as it doesn't harm anybody else. We all know that leads to chaos. So freedom is conceptualized in our contemporary moment around having no boundaries. Woody Allen in his justification, and I don't want to get into this, uh, it's his justification for marrying his adopted daughter who he had slept with for a long time. It was a tragic situation, what he did. His justification, and it's the West justification for every kind of behavior, it's this. He goes, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. In fact, it's very Freudian, and Freud has been debunked in, in many different psych, um, psych, psych, psychology schools. Uh, but Freud believed that the greatest sin in the world, the modern world, is the repression of our longing and our desires. In fact, he said it is the basis of all neurosis. Freedom is basically doing what you want to do. The problem with that, and this leads to the authenticity movement. Are you still with me? Some of you, I see the scowls on your face. Just go with me. Uh, but this authenticity movement, being true to yourself, there's a problem. Because basically we, we, we root truth in how we feel because this self is the ultimate curator of our spirituality or our longings and desires. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The problem with being true to yourself is what self are you going to be true to? Because every psychologist is going to tell you there's, not, there's no such thing as a singular you. You got plural yous. That doesn't mean that you have all these different personalities. It means that you have one million different competing desires and longings in your heart, in your mind. Good luck trying to figure out the real you. How are you going to determine subjectively what's 
What's you, right? I still don't know, right? Outside of the grace of God and God's word, I would be a lost cause when it comes to understanding the real Christ. Because to be honest, the real Christ could be very angry a lot of the times because he's a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? So freedom that leads to non-freedom is a freedom that has no restrictions. Are you hearing me? So what's the freedom? What's the freedom that we all want? Because we all want freedom. Whether you're a Christian or not, you want freedom. Because you know, because God's given it to you. God's given you the desire for freedom because you know it's associated with life and human flourishing. So what is this freedom that leads to more freedom? Well, we find in Galatians chapter five, verse one, Paul is resounding in his tone. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, let me just say this really quick. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a manifesto on freedom. In fact, I just want to make this case really quick on freedom so you don't think it's just a political theory, but this is very theological and it's the very heart of the gospel, freedom that is. In fact, what we find, one German scholar uh, who wrote about 150 years ago a brief commentary on the New Testament and he called it, he was kind of an aggressive scholar, but he called uh, this little tome on the New Testament, Jesus means freedom. However, there's a lot of people out there that when they think of Jesus, they think of non-freedom, right? Repression of their true selves, which is the opposite of what Jesus teaches. In fact, John chapter eight, Jesus says, if you abide in my words, you shall know the truth. And the what? The truth will set you free. And then he goes on to say, the son, referring to himself, will indeed set you free. So the question that we're going to get to, we're going to answer is, okay, so what are, we, what are we getting free from, right? But let me just say this really quick. The canonical gospels are so clear that Jesus chose the Passover festival. He could have chosen any great religious festival. Yom Kippur, he could, chose, he could have chosen any other festival to describe his death, but he chose the Passover festival to explain the drama of his crucifixion. So what is the Passover? Well, it's the grand freedom story of God rescuing his people from Pharaoh and the dehumanizing conditions of slavery and then leading them into the promised land. Jesus chose to define his death as a freedom event. The heart of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus and Jesus alone sets us free. All right, so what does that mean? What does freedom mean? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, as DMAC read, Jesus gave himself up for our sins. Everyone say sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. Okay, so I'm gonna offend some people here today, but I love you and you love me. Okay, so give me some love, even though you don't love me at this moment or soon to be moment. Freedom is not simply the result of toppling a few dictators. There's this wild assumption, naive assumption. If we get rid of a few bad political actors, bam, we'll have freedom. Hey, guys, 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 guys. 
Most people were unfree before Trump, unfree under Biden, unfree under President Obama, unfree under George Bush, unfree under Clinton, unfree under Republicans and Democrats. And some of you, all of you should have been clapping. I'd have given you the wild stare, the Mr. Wild stare, right? Now, I think it's good that we get rid of bad political actors, right? But freedom is not simply the result of toppling a few dictators. It's not simply political economic freedom, and that's good. I think we need to advocate for those things. But the freedom that Jesus offers and Paul explicates for us in Galatians is far more than all of that. In fact, it's, this freedom is the entire liberation of the cosmos from death, sin, human wickedness, inertia, corruption, your insatiable desire for approval, your inability to find rest. Come on, your seething resentment, which destroys your life. We get way more freedom than just political and economic freedom. We are set free from sin. Now that will, that will lead to the rest of our lives, that idea. And yes, as, as Christians, we are called to influence those who are in politics and economics and the work, workforce, etc. But sin is what we're set free from. I know we don't talk about sin much in the church anymore. Like I, I think the last message I heard on sin was in 1988. Right now, because we're all therapeutic self-actualizers, we just want a message that makes us feel good about ourselves. And so as long, you guys will hear me as long as I talk about how God will bless you, but most of you tune out when I start talking about some of the expectations that God has for us. That's okay, because we're all growing, and I love you, and you love me, and I can say the truth, and you can say the truth. And if you want to email me today, you can email me at joel at whatever, myspace.com, okay? Sin, sin, sin is what we're set free from. So what is that? Sin, let me say this really quick, is not a moral glitch. In, in the words of one author, it is not simply about an occasional lapse or mistake or failure. Like I saw something bad today. Ah, oh, I sin, right? Sin is not just like doing something wrong. And of course it is doing something wrong, but I want to, I want to probe the depths of what sin is. Sin is a sign that something else is calling the shots in your life. Sin is, how do I define it? And I've been defining it this way a lot. Sin is essentially defining things in reality, what's beautiful, what's right, what's true on your own terms over against God. We all know that, right? So yes, sin inherent within it is going in the opposite direction of God. It's courting death. That's why sin leads to what? Yes, yeah, sin has a character to it, right? And with every character, there's a, there's a causal link or a consequence. So sin by its very nature is to go against God's good purposes for your life. And then because of that, you then court and embrace death itself. It will inevitably lead to death. But sin, again, is not just doing something wrong. It's not just a moral glitch. It's not just a failure. Sin is also a power. If you read Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7, I have enough time to do an exposition on this. 
but sin is a singular power. It's a, it's a, we'll call it a tyrannical landlord that enslaves us to do the very thing we do not wish to do. It wants to take advantage of you. It's vicious. It's zoomorphic. What does that mean? It's like an animal that wants to seize every opportunity to destroy and dehumanize your life. Sin is, this is why sin is not something we play with. This is why Jesus is very harsh with our relationship with sin. He said, basically in figurative language, you better cut out your eye and cut off your arm when it comes to sin. He's not literally saying do that. He's just trying to give expression to the fact that sin is not something you just play around with because it wants to destroy you. It is a zoomorphic, suprahuman power that exercises its influence over creation and over every human heart. It leads to uncontrolled anger and resentment. Some of you have anger that you've tried to get free from and have tried to change. And some of you have been filled with resentment in life because of things that have happened to you, unimaginable things, and you can't get free from it. Why is that? Well, it's because you're not calling the shots. Think about this. There's a pathological, for some of us, we have a pathological capacity for disobeying God in his good purposes. For some of us, we're self-obsessed over success as a result of sin and its influence in our lives. We're filled with pride and greed and lust. All of us have this issue. It's, it's in, well, pride is insidious because pride is so deceptive. It's kind of like carbon monoxide. You can't, you don't know it's there. Some of you are so proud and arrogant, but you don't know you're so proud and arrogant. Pride, what does it do? It's essentially competitive. You're always looking down on people. And when you're always looking down on people, in the words of C.S. Lewis, you can't look up. Right? And so you're, you're, you're turning in to yourself, as Martin Luther has said many times. So sin, what does it do? It enslaves us to desires and longings that go against the good purposes of our creator. But here's the good news. Jesus has set us free from sin and delivered us from the influence of this present evil age. So in the death of Jesus, are you hearing me? This power we call sin has been dethroned. And if you are in Christ today by faith and repentance and in baptism, that sin, that power has no authority over you. In fact, you're no longer located in sin in this present wicked age. You are located in King Jesus, his life, his peace, his joy. So what is this present evil age? What is it characterized by? What is downwind from the influence of this tyrannical power we call sin, but the results are anxiety. Some of us, we imagine a future world without hope and without Jesus. Some of us, we feel that, that pervasive sense that everything's out of, out of our control. We can't do anything. Like our families and our children and our, our bodies are just are subject to laws outside of our control and there's no hope. This is, this is this present evil age, right? So there's so many people in our world that are defined by loneliness and loneliness is not just you being sad and getting a cat because you have no friends. 
And if that's, I'm not trying to like, I, that just came to my mind. I'm not trying to be offensive here, guys, okay? But loneliness is more than that. Loneliness is defined by a sense of meaninglessness. This is this present evil age. It's defined by meaninglessness. And it could go on and on and on. It's defined by busyness and exhaustion and turning away from the good purposes of, of, of God's grace over our lives. But we have been set free. You are freedom people. Today, you are free. You are free. Why? Well, because of the disruptive, everyone say the disruptive, the disruptive aftershocks of the death of Jesus. You are now, you didn't do anything to get into this. Right, But you are, and you don't even have to feel this to be true. I'm going to talk about this here soon. But you are now free. And you're free, like we talked about last week, because of God's grace. Grace, and I think we need to talk more about this. Like my grace message from last week could certainly be turned into like a seven-week message. We, there's so much we can talk about when it comes to grace. But grace, as we talked about last week, is unconditioned. What does that mean? It means that in order for you to enter into God's grace and his life and his blessing and his power, you don't have to meet any conditions. In other words, you're not the one that's driving the car. You're, you're not the one that's taking the initiative. Anyone who's encountered the grace of God will say, everything started with grace. Grace, in other words, starts with God and grace is radically disruptive. If you can imagine your messed up story like a paper and you take a line and you draw it down the center of the paper, grace would be that line. And on the left-hand column would be your former life defined by darkness and deformed by corruption and callousness and just self-obsession. The next column, the right column, would be defined by God's life and goodness and transformation. Grace, in other words, breaks through into your life spontaneously when you did nothing to deserve it. So grace works like this. God always meets you. I know I'm getting Pentecostal on you. But grace always meets you where you are at. And what grace does is it does not bring first shame. It never brings shame. It doesn't bring first judgment. What does it do? It first meets you where you're at in your tension, in your dysfunction, in your sin, in the stresses of your life and speaks life and blessing over you. Grace is unconditioned. However, most grace preachers don't focus on this other part. Grace never leaves you there in your tensions, in your dysfunction, in your messed up. Many people, okay, so you're not going to like this statement. I'm going to explain it. Grace is unconditioned, but it's not unconditional. I'm going to explain it because some of you have been taught your entire life that grace is unconditional. And I'm going to define that really quick. Grace is unconditioned means that there's not one condition that you can meet 
for you to enter into the grace of God. God is the one that brings all the grace and all the goodness and all the blessing and all the life to you. But grace is not unconditional. This is a modern invention of the word grace. The idea behind the unconditionality of God's grace is that God is an indiscriminate giver and he just throws out gifts without any expectation from you at all. So it goes like this. God gives grace to the world, but he doesn't care if you kill people. He doesn't care if you spoil your life or mess up your life and hurt other people. God's some grandfatherly happy figure up in the sky who generally doesn't care about what's going on and the evil and all the ways in which we destroy our lives. That is the unconditionality of grace and that is not who God is. If God is like that and doesn't care about the choices we make, and is indifferent to the evil that is running rampant in our world, that God is a devil. Are you hearing me? So God's grace is unconditioned, but it's unconditional. It's not unconditional. Did I say that right? I have seven children. I I, I just never sleep. So sometimes I wonder if I'm saying things correctly. For example, when, when it comes to my, our, our children, we have seven children and we're so blessed to have seven children. My children are alive today, not because they chose to be alive. They didn't get the thing started. If you know where I'm going. My wife and I started the whole project and it was amazing, okay? Seven children, right? That's unconditioned grace. They didn't, do, they didn't do one stinking thing to be a part of the wild family. They're just, bam! Grace! Disruptive, right? They're now little children, a part of the wild family, right? But here's the thing. Both Kel and I, we do have expectations for them. They can't just do whatever they want to do. Here's the thing. I'm going to love them. My wife's going to love them to the very end. We're going to love them through poopy diapers. We're going to love them through kicking me in the clavicle. That happened. We're going to love them through taking pens to my favorite shirts. I wear the same clothes almost every Sunday because every piece of my clothing has been destroyed by my children, right? We're going to love them through every single, every single wrongdoing of theirs but that doesn't mean we don't have expectations for them. We want them to have life. We want them to understand what freedom is for. We want them to learn responsibility. We want them to grow and mature and not fight and kill each other, right? That is our desire. And that gives us a picture of the unconditioned grace of God. Here's the thing. God will never leave you in your sin. God's not, not, he's not going to leave you in your corruption, your death. He's not here to approve of every, when we say grace, that is not approval for every certain lifestyle or way of thinking. Are you hearing me? No, grace is, I am here for you. I love you. My first words are, I love you. I bless you. I see you. I know you. You're mine. Come on, somebody. Yeah. 
And then what happens, and there's a spiritual order, God's grace first comes to us. And then what happens? God in his love and his grace invites us into confession of our sins. It is the goodness of God that leads you and I to repentance. And then once we confess our sins, some of you, you don't even know how good God is. And that is the very reason why it's hard for you to confess your sin. And this is why some of us here today are lying to ourselves because we're afraid God is not good. But when we realize that God speaks life and blessing over us, what does it do? It softens our heart. It opens us up to his presence. We then are invited into this interactive, incredible relationship with God, wherein we confess our sins. Come on, somebody. And then we are set free from that. And then every encounter with Jesus, this is a spiritual order, every encounter with Jesus, as I get from one scholar, will always lead you to being sent. It always starts with grace. Then it comes to confession of your sin. And then what does God do? Oh, I can't believe you did that. Ah, you stinking person, right? I'll forgive you, but that's, you're just going to have to wait to get to heaven where there's real perfection, right? No, no, no. What does he do? He removes all your sin and then he invites you into mission. And he gives you a job. Grace, confession of sin, and being sent is the spiritual order that brings freedom in our lives. No? Yeah? So in Christ, we are free people because of God's grace. It is, this is a fancy term, fait accompli. It's irreversible. In Christ, in faith, in repentance, in baptism, you are set free from sin, from addictions, from depression, from despair. Sometimes it takes time to work that out and we need to walk in grace and compassion, but you are now a free person. Okay, so let's, let's, let's get the cat out of the bag right now. You ready for this? The problem is there are many of you that are in Christ who don't feel free. Not just you don't feel free, you know in the, in the real world that you're not free. Like some of you are, let's be really honest, you're bound to sexual addictions and you don't know how to get free. You've tried to, you've tried to break free from those chains and we sung about it today. Or some of you are bound up by something that's happened to you in your past and you're just seething with resentment and anger, right? Or maybe you've experienced betrayal, you've been sinned against and there's just, there's just this, this enslavement that you have to that particular event and you can't get free from it. So what do we do about that? Because many of you might be saying, well, I just don't, I know what you're saying, Chris, that in Christ we're set free, but it doesn't feel true. Right? I've, 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 in many pastoral situations, I've talked to many different people and when I'm talking them through freedom, 
I think inevitably one of the, the rejoiners that I get is, Chris, I think what you're saying is, is fictive. It's, well, they don't say it that way, but it, it's fiction, right? It's just, I, I don't know if I can truly believe that because number one, it doesn't feel that way. Number two, I really am in some unfree stuff. So what's our response to that? Well, I'm wading into deep philosophical waters, but let me just say this really quick. Feeling or not feeling something doesn't make something true or untrue. Are you hearing me? Yes. Feeling, and you've, you've, I've preached this many times. How do I say this? We dignify our emotions. Thank God for feelings, right? What I'm talking about, feelings that are misshapen or disordered, okay? So we can't, feelings are important. They're diagnostic. They tell us something about what's going on. We need to honor that without question. But we don't live by our feelings, because feeling something doesn't make something true or untrue. For example, Garrison and I, we took um, my three oldest children to Disneyland. It was our, all of our family. And uh, we went to uh, California Adventure. And uh, what's the ride? Incredibles. Went to the Incredibles. How many of you like roller coasters? How many of you don't like roller coasters? All right, I'm going to bless you at the end of this um, message. Give you a fatherly blessing. I don't even know what that means. So we... Uh, we went on it twice, remember? And you might've gone three times. The third time I've never seen Garrison or second time so sick in his life before. But on this particular ride, if you've been on it, Incredibles, it takes you from zero to like 80-ish in just a couple seconds. It's like, it takes your breath away. You gotta keep your mouth closed. If you don't, you turn into a cartoon. <laughs> like you, you hit a certain threshold and then your mouth starts flapping. And at the very end, they have a picture of you. It's, it's so demonic how they do that. They want to create a condition where you look like silly, right? And they take a photo of you. Anyways, we're on this ride and both Gary, Gary and I talked about it at the end. We're like, we both felt like we were going to die. I hate roller coasters. I mean, it just, it was not, wasn't a fun experience for us. Our kids were like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. I'm like, you want to kill your dad, right? Um, did we die that day? We felt like we were going to die, but did we die that day? No. Did we feel like we're going to die? Yes. Here's the simple point. Truth and what we feel are not always on the same page. Truth is not dependent on the mood. It's not dependent on, well, we're in February, so let's all be depressed because it's foggy outside, right? Truth is not dependent upon uh, the weather. It's not dependent upon um, indigestion. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on trouble. Truth is true, independent of how we feel or what we think or what's actually happening in our life. This isn't fiction. If, if we're followers of Jesus, we gotta do the hard work and we gotta do good theology. We gotta think like Christians. And to think like Christians is to say, okay, feelings are important, but what's more important is the truth that Jesus set me free. And yes, I have a particular inclination to do such and such, but I am still a free person in Christ Jesus. Well, how does that work out? Well, it works out of regeneration and I can't get into that big fancy theological term, but it's simply this. For some of you who are in Christ, this is your struggle here today. It's this. Your strongest desires tend to be the desires that take you away from Jesus. Your strongest desires are what take you away from Jesus. You just, you have this pull, right? This pull. 
pull into this particular addiction, this pull into this anger, this pull into this whatever this particular sin is. But here's the thing. If you are in Christ, even though those strongest desires are still in you, here's the good news. This is the truth. They are not your truest or deepest desires. At the cross, Jesus poured out his spirit. And I can't explicate this longer, but he gave you a new heart and new mind. Done deal. That's our foundation. That's our starting point. New heart, new mind. I don't feel, I don't put those aside. Put the feeling statements aside. Those are important. But let's start just with the truths and the facts of what happened to Jesus. In Jesus, you are given a new mind, a new heart, a new perspective, a new way, a new way of seeing reality in line with Jesus. So your truest and deepest desire is to build for his kingdom. Your truest and deepest desire is not to become self-obsessed. Your truest and your deepest desire is not to do such and such and this and that that takes you away from God's presence. Your deepest desire is to be in the presence of God. Your deepest desire is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Your deepest desire, your truest desire has been planted by God himself into you. You, in other words, are free. That is who you are. And yes, you have to do the hard work of thinking. And yes, you have to think this through. And yes, you have to pray this through. And you have to immerse yourself in scripture because Jesus made it very clear. If you want to know the truth, the truth will set you free. But if you're going to know the truth, you have to what? Abide in my words. As you will learn to abide in Jesus, you begin to know the truth. And then the truth will what? Will set you free. So we're free from sin, the power of sin. We're free from this, this present evil age defined by anxiety and loneliness and despair and sickness and broken communities and broken lives and broken bodies, right? And we're in by the grace of God. We're thrust into a new realm and a new dimension we call the kingdom of God. So freedom is not just, as I close here, not just from something. Freedom is also for something. Too many times we focus on the from part of freedom and we forget about the for part of freedom. Especially in our national discourse, we're talking rightly about what we need to be free from and not going to get into the, the certain subject matter but I've, I've noticed that a lot of our talk on freedom is solely focused on, we need to be free from such and such, this and that, that and that. And yet there's no talk on, okay, what are we actually free to do? Right? So yes, Jesus 
has set us free and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we work that out in our lives. But two, in Galatians chapter five, we are set free to what? We are set free to love. I'm gonna read this passage, Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. So what is the freedom which gives opportunity for the flesh? That's, that's how the West sees freedom, no restrictions, right? We can do whatever we want. The heart wants what it wants, right? I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna be true to the, to the thousand different yous inside of me, whatever that means, right? What does that lead to? Well, that leads to, Paul will tell us, anti-love. Not just non-freedom, but it leads to anti-love. For he says this, Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I, I don't even know where to start here. There's just so much that you, we can unpack. So the freedom that gives opportunity for the flesh, those desires that we become enslaved to, what is built into those desires that take us away from God? Non-love. Non-love, right? We become self-obsessed, right? Martin Luther coined the phrase, we turn or curve in on ourselves. Yet Jesus said, I'm gonna set you free so that you can love like me. Did that rhyme? No? Okay. It's kind of sounded like it. Okay. Freedom, in other words, is that Jesus gives us is for love. Freedom is for love. It is not for self-obsession. It is not for being afraid. The freedom that we have does not depersonalize people where we have no capacity for mercy for the other, right? Freedom, in other words, gives us love and this love is directed away from itself towards other people. It's important. Love is, let me say it this way. Love takes care of itself, okay? That's so important. We, when we talk about love and being others directed, if we're not careful, some people are like, they just work from an assumption, oh, Chris, you mean we don't have to take care of ourselves and we just gotta be a wallflower and everybody walks all over us. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is love by definition turns away from itself and turns to God as its provider. And then as we get a glimpse of who God is in his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his joy and all the things, the blessing and being seen by him, we then, our hearts are changed and then we then reflect that back out to the world. First John tells us this. I'm gonna read First John as we close and then we're gonna pray. Verse seven, chapter four says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Are you guys still with me? So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Two more verses, verse 18. Do we have, or are we, by this, We'll just go to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Finally, we love because he first loved us. So what are we set free for? We're set free to love like Jesus loved us. How did Jesus, as I close, love us? He gave up his life for good people, perfect people, people that share the same political viewpoint. Oh, I'm getting touched. Uh, I don't know if I should say that. Who did Jesus die for? And who was all of us? Sinners under the influence of that power, that singular power we call sin. So love is defined not first by us loving him, but by God loving us. And when we see how he's loved us in our messy stories, we're then set free to love other people in their messy stories. So the logic is really simple here. The logic is if we use our freedom to do whatever we want, we're going to indulge our flesh that will then become enslaved to desires that fall under the kingdom of darkness that then takes us away from God. And those desires are inherently anti-love. We then start because we are freedom people, which leads us into less freedom. What happens? We build communities around anti-love because we're all about our own freedom, indulging the desires insofar as we don't hurt anybody else, indulging the desires that we want, which unwittingly for some people enslave us. So then we have human communities around the world that are built on this anti-love premise that's rooted in non-freedom based in a freedom that doesn't bring freedom. So in our current moment, we have all this biting and devouring. Paul says it, beware. You guys are free people, but if you don't love like Christ loved you, you're going to build a community that's based on violence and figuratively, he says, cannibalistic tendencies. What are we seeing in this moment, in our political moment? In fact, I went on Twitter yesterday and I, I wanted to go and have a conversation with someone 3,000 miles away on Twitter about a particular issue, but I could not believe what this person was saying. This person was a misanthrope, was just spewing hatred and anger. And I was shocked by it. We go to social media and we're shocked by the nihilism and the lack of love, the lack of charity that we see in our world. Now, some of you are saying, wow, we need to speak the truth in love. I 100% agree with that. 
We need to speak the truth in love, but that does not mean you get on Facebook and have an argument with someone 3,000 miles away who's never gonna listen to your truth. My dad always said this, Chris, to the extent that you have a relationship with someone is the extent that you can speak truth in their lives. So why is it, Christians, that we get on social media and we share our opinion with people that we have no relationship with? And then we get angry that they fight back? Here, I'm going Pentecostal on you. This is old school, but let me just tell you this really quick. Sinners are going to sin. And some of you are shocked. You're like, why is the world losing their mind? The world has always lost its mind. Sinners are going to sin, but we need Christians who are mature. Christians who understand something about love and relationship. And they're willing to listen and create space for someone to share their crazy thoughts about God and reality and politics. And yet you don't shirk away or leave them, but you create space and you just, you're bound to them and you love them. And here's the thing, here's the thing. When you build a relationship with someone and they know that they can trust you because you've listened to them, there's going to be a point where the heart's going to soften. And then you can speak the truth into their life. Remember the spiritual order. Jesus comes to us in not judgment. He comes to us first with grace. And he blesses us. He sees us. He knows we just suck most of the time. Lord have mercy, but he's not intimidated. And then there's a time when he just, he's there. And like Peter, Peter opens up his heart and says, man, I'm, I'm a wicked person. And Jesus says, I, I forgive you. Guess what? I got a mission for you. Grace, confession of sin, mission. That's the order that Jesus relates to us. And that's the order that we're called to relate to other people. Grace. Well, you don't know this person. He's a lefty. He is a progressive nihilist. And I can't stand him. Well, hey, hey, hey. Build a relationship with him. You are wasting your energy with some dude 3,000 miles away in Florida in his basement talking politics. You're not going to change his mind and he's not going to change your mind. How about you? What you need to do is you need to understand that God has given you the people that he's given you right in front of you. And he's also going to bring, if you're faithful, more people into your life. And when you realize that those people in your life are the people that God wants you to love, guess what? You start loving them. You start building trust. You start building that relationship. They're going to start sharing their messed up stories. You're going to start speaking life and truth and hope and forgiveness in their life. We're going to see transformation. And guess what? You're going to realize that you're a sent person. 
And that's when you're gonna experience mission. And when you do that in the little things, God's gonna entrust you with more. And he's gonna send more people to you because he knows he can trust you with loving people and building relationships with people, not shaming and judging them first, but you first get into a relationship, you just love them, you're full of grace. They start sharing their stuff and you're like, God, yes, forgives you. Come on, follow me. That's the church that we're called to be. We are free people. We are free people because Jesus has set us free from sin and death and corruption and anxiety and loneliness and your need for approval and every single addiction in your life so that he could fill us with his love that we can then reflect that back into the world. And when we do that, church, that is when we will see a great move of God in our nation once again. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.